0: And I just want to take a few moments of our time to think about that passage that we had read. It's an ancient passage from the prophet Isaiah. He wrote it over 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And yet, the topic that it's dealing with is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus Christ. That famous verse, verse 6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's talking about the birth that was to happen over 700 years later. Jesus' birth. And as we look at this passage, I want us to see three things. First of all, the nature of that first Christmas. Secondly, the child of the first Christmas. And thirdly, the surprise of the first Christmas. So let's think first of all about the nature of the first Christmas. Earlier on this afternoon, I was um, sitting at home and I was relaxing and I was looking at our Christmas tree and our Children were running around and having a great time and they were getting a little bit crazy and I was trying to calm them down a little bit but they weren't exactly in listening mode and then all of a sudden our smallest, our three-year-old chased by our oldest, our five-year-old burst through the door and knocked over the Christmas tree and it went flying so the whole Christmas tree kind of toppled. It was one of those slow motion moments. And then as the, uh, the pine needles just kind of went everywhere, the water that was supposed to be kind of soaking into the Christmas tree splashed everywhere and soaked up all the pine needles and all the decorations and bits of glass smashed as well. And the children were just so excited by this and like running around as well. So, and I just thought at that moment, well, once I dealt with my annoyance, as I reflected a little bit later, I thought that is what this year has felt like, hasn't it? I mean, wasn't everything in January, February kind of okay? We got through Christmas, we were kind of just dealing with it, and then it was just chaos, and there's just mess. And we just had a load of that mess, as Deanna talked about it, and we spent the rest of the year trying to pick up the pieces, metaphorically speaking, trying to work out what we do with this mess. Well, the nature of that first Christmas talked about is exactly that. Do you notice how the theme is given light? Light is talked about. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, but it's not light just saccharine sweet, eggnog lattes, the light of Christmas, which we love. You know, light is a wonderful theme for Christmas, but it's light in the context of darkness. Not light instead of darkness, but light in the context of darkness. And if Christmas is to be anything, It's got to be that, hasn't it? It's got to be an honest engagement with the fact that we live in a world where we've been starkly reminded this year that there is real objective darkness. Light is, of course, a metaphor for for hope. That's why we, we love that Christmas theme. It's hope. But hope always has to sail its course between the twin dangers of naivety and cynicism. On one hand, you've got naivety. That's just light but with no darkness at all. And that's, that's fine for Christmas for a bit, isn't it? It's the kind of the escapism, it's the Disney cartoons, it's nice and we, we kick back and we enjoy our mulled wine and our mince pies for a bit, but we know we're just putting off the reality of the darkness of the world into the new year, but it's still there. Escapism has its place, but it's not the same as hope. And if we just engage with light but no darkness all the time, we're, we're naive, we'll never be able to function in a world where pandemics happen where death happens, where the brokenness that has been exposed in our society happens all around us on a day-to-day basis. So we we need to avoid naivety, but then some people, of course, swing the other way, and I think this has been a real danger for us as a culture at large in this year. We then go from naivety to cynicism. Face it. You know, the world's dark. There are problems in the world. Just just grow up, deal with it, right? Right? Just, you know, you, you, you have to deal with it. Don't be naive. Don't get taken in. So deal with it. But hope? Yeah, I used to believe in hope. I mean, I, you know, but I used to believe in Santa Claus as well. Sorry, kids, if you're watching at home. But, you know, now I, I don't believe in that. I'm an adult. I've grown up. Well, it, it's kind of hard nosed, isn't it? It actually quickly becomes hard hearted. But where's the hope? Because here's the thing, real hope, biblical hope, the hope talked about in this passage is the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Notice the darkness is something they're walking in, that is, it's talking about their condition. They are people where the darkness is in their very walk, that's in their very moral fabric. It's part of them. The darkness isn't just out there, the darkness, it says, is actually in here, because As bad as the pandemic has been, it's exposed injustices in our society that aren't something out there. We can't ascribe them to the disease. They were all there all along. They come from in here, the darkness within. We've experienced that darkness, those who walk in darkness, but also that of living in a land of deep darkness. That is, the context we faced has been darkness as well. As we've seen, for example, the daily death rates up on our screen, 60,000 people who've died in the UK as a result of COVID this year alone. We face that as well, but into that dark setting, Isaiah talks about light, that is hope, not naivety, not cynicism, but a real engagement with the difficulties of this world, but hope nonetheless, hope that there is a better day. Famously, Martin Luther King Jr., that great prophet of hope in the 20th century, particularly in the context, of course, of the civil rights movement, in his final ever speech, he talked vividly about this with some famous words. He said this, "'The world is all messed up. "'The nation is sick. "'Trouble is in the land, confusion all around, "'but I know somehow that only when it's dark enough "'can you see the stars.'" Not light instead of darkness. Not darkness with no light, but light that shines brighter because of the darkness. That's the hope this passage is talking about. That's the nature of that first Christmas. But then as the passage goes on, it locates that hope, that light, in a very strange place. The famous verse, verse 6, for to us or unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father the prince of peace now we have to be a little bit careful here because of course um children or babies and christmas does conjure up a certain image for us doesn't it i mentioned before i've got two uh, young ones and so i think back to a few years when our first one was born and that first christmas my wife kind of went slightly you know kind of baby gap nuts you know, buying everything that would make our, you know, three-month-old look like, you know, Santa's very, very little helper. And so I'd be pushing him along the road, you know, in the pram, and he'd just look like an advert for a Christmas card or something, you know. And people would stop me in the road and they'd say, oh, isn't he so adorable, he's so cute, he must take after his mother. That happened a lot, actually. I got those phrases a lot. Anyway, I'm still dealing with that. But he was just so cute. And so when we hear of a child on Christmas, we, we again, we get a bit kind of cutesied out. But notice the nature of this child. It is remarkable how he's described. Because first of all, here's a child who isn't one who goes on to achieve greatness, but he's one who's born as great. What's the first thing you do when you have a child, pretty much? You, you name them. Well, what's his name? We're given them, verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. These are things this child is going to attain in his life. This is his name as he starts life. In other words, this is who he is. It's the very essence of his nature, this greatness. But secondly, look at what these titles reveal to us. These titles tell us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Because though he's born as a child, to us a son is given. Here's this human being. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God. So often for years before I was a Christian, I became a Christian later on in life at age 22, I used to think that the church had kind of fabricated this idea of Jesus being God. It was a a fourth, fifth century fabrication. It was something maybe the apostle Paul did. You know, but Jesus himself, he was a charismatic guy. He was a great teacher, but he never claimed to be divine. But here you are 700 years before his birth, and it doesn't get any clearer, does it? To us a child is born, that is a human being, and what is his name? Mighty God. Crystal clear. And bear in mind, this is the Jewish people who have got this prophecy. They, are, they would take the name of God to be so holy, so reverent, that they wouldn't even say his name. They would just say Hashem, the name. And they are saying that God will become human. And not only that, as you go into his names, each one of those four names has a human element and a divine element. So first of all, we have Wonderful Counselor. A counselor is a sage in the ancient world. It's someone who is wise, who understands the ways of the world, who is discerning, who makes good choices, who can guide others to do so and to live life well. Wonderful technically means supernatural, a quality only of God. So here is a, a guide but like no other, a divine guide who can help you navigate the difficult contours of life. Mighty is a name, is, a, is an attribute of kings. Kings are mighty, human kings and princes, but this is mighty God. This is God who is the one who's going to fight for us. And again, put those two together, a counselor who is wise, but with all power, because very often we know the truth, don't we, that the wise people don't have power and the powerful people don't have wisdom. And in a year when our politicians have let us down, in many ways, that is very poignant for us but a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. That means this child is described in a relationship of intimacy. I don't know how you think of God. We often think of him as remote and distant, but a father at his best is intimate, where his happiness and his sadness rise and fall with the happiness and sadness of their children. That's a connected father. That's the type of father yeah, and he's an everlasting father, an eternal one. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And a prince of peace. Princes are human. They rule. They have vigor. Their life before them. Peace, that word in the Hebrew means is shalom. It means have peace which means a reordering of society such that there's justice and there's right relationships, relationships restored with God and relationships restored with one another in a world where we know our neighbors and we care for our neighbors and we love our neighbors as ourselves. Fully God, fully man, not a Christian construction, a prophecy 700 or so years before his birth. This is the nature of this child. And no wonder, therefore, that the hopes and dreams of all the years are located in this child. As the words of Hart the Herald go, veiled in flesh, human being, the Godhead see, humanity and divine brought together in a child that will change the world. That's why hope is found in him. That's why light is found in him. And then thirdly, the surprise of the first Christmas. In these verses, Isaiah talks about some wonderful things happening. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation. That is a kind of an expansion in the ancient world of of the national boundaries. You've increased their joy. It talks about the kind of metaphor of agriculture flourishing. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. It talks about victory, military victory, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, which, of course, the military victory means peace around their enemies. And then it talks about verse 7, the greatness of His government not ending, reigning forever. So the wonderful pictures for people in the kind of metaphors of the ancient world of peace in the land, of military expansion, of settled government. And of course in the ancient world the way that that would happen would be by military conquest. That was how the ancient world worked. If you wanted to expand your national borders, you did it by military conquest. If you wanted to defeat the enemies, you did it by military conquest. If you wanted a king who was powerful, how do you know he was powerful? Because he had won battles. But the surprise here is what is right in the middle of it. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. The surprise here is that when this child comes, he doesn't bring about peace in the land and expansion and a divine rule by military conquest, by armament. He brings it about by peace and disarmament. Totally counterintuitive. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood is burned. That's how he rules. He rules in peace, he rules in mercy, he rules in gentleness, he comes as a baby in humility. Not at all what anyone would have expected in the ancient world and actually not at all what we expect today as the words of the hymn say, mild he lays his glory by. In other words, he puts it to one side. He doesn't come to dominate and domineer, he comes to be merciful and to restore. And that is what the story of Jesus Christ, the historical real-life event story, is all about. Born in a manger, you know, the no room at the inn. Not born in a palace. Not born with servants attending. Born with no room. Born on the run, fleeing. Born into poverty and obscurity, because here is a ruler who is not disconnected from the darkness of the world, but is connected to the darkness of the world. But how does he overcome the darkness of the world? Not by perpetuating it, not by fighting, not by military victory, but he overcomes it with peace. And that's why Jesus' life is all about his death. The way he lived his life is the way that he died. He lived with mercy. He lived with compassion. He was approachable. Children ran up to him. The vulnerable that others shunned approached him, he protected them, he was approachable and yet he was powerful enough to speak truth to power to the corrupt, to challenge those who'd got it wrong, to call them to account. And ultimately he was prepared to lay down his life for the sake of others. You know, on the cross when Jesus died, darkness overcame the land for three hours, supernatural darkness. Because the one who came as the light to overcome the darkness for a moment in space, time and history allowed himself in humility and in mercy to be overcome by the darkness. He died for a world in the shadow of death so that we might have life. He was shut out for a moment from the goodness and the presence of God the Father so that we might come in. He experienced the cosmic injustice of being punished on the cross for something he didn't do, so that we might know the goodness and forgiveness of a God who says, if you trust in me, I will forgive you. The great surprise of that first Christmas is that the way he was born was the way he would live, is the way that he would die. Not domineering other people for his own ends, but serving other people, giving up his life for their good. For your good and your glory. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. I started at the beginning by telling you about that um, very real incident from earlier on this afternoon where my Christmas tree went smashing everywhere and all over the shop. And that's how we felt this year, isn't it? As we've dealt with the challenge and the difficulties of a broken world, the darkness has been there. Well, this Christmas, Isaiah prophesying over 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ says that hope, real light, comes not in spite of darkness, but in the midst of darkness. It comes in a child, and it comes in a child who will live a surprising life, the luminous Nazarene, as Albert Einstein called him, born to die, so that we might in him overcome the darkness. Thanks so much for listening.